while we are getting started here, <clears throat> have an I, JT and I have an idea, but it didn't originate with me or him. It was another dear, sweet lady in the church who's been kind of concerned about what to do for the summertime. Okay, our, our children's ministry ended last Wednesday, and our adult Bible study coalesced with that ministry. And so what I think we want to try to do is we're kicking around the idea of having small groups through the summer and trying to get small groups going. We're thinking maybe of having three, uh, maybe one in Twin, maybe a couple here in Jerome. We will all be using this, the same curriculum, okay? And so it's around a 12-week deal. Uh, of course, all of you would be, who, each group would decide what night of the week they would want to do it and how long it would last. But if you have any interest in that, this is what we've kind of got to know is how much interest is there in that. So right now, just as a cursory uh, uh, sample, raise your hand if you have any interest in that. Well, more than I thought. Okay. So also, make sure you communicate that with me too if you have any questions about it, and uh, we'll try to get that figured out as soon as we can. going to be talking today about the scriptural officers of a New Testament church. You're like, well, that sounds pretty boring. But actually, it's, it's not. It's not really boring at all when you consider the fact that all of this is made possible by what Jesus did, what we just observed in communion. That middle wall of separation, referring to the court of the Jew and the court of the Gentile, has been torn down. Uh, God is now among His people. Uh, if you know Christ, the Holy Spirit of God dwells inside of you, okay? So God living inside of you, that's why the Bible says our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why it says that Christians should be very careful about the things that they do in the body because you take the Lord with you wherever you go and whatever you do and, uh, and that uh, we answer for the things that we do in this body as God's people. We are also called the church, Those people who know Christ by faith, who've come to Him in repentance of sin, those who have been saved by grace through faith, not of works, uh, come to know Christ, are given the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, as a guarantee of the purchased possession. We cannot be lost, okay? And so we also follow through with believers' baptism, baptized, being, being identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ coming up out of that watery grave, just like He came out of that earthly tomb, we are identified then as the church, the body of Christ. Well, then what constitutes a New Testament church? So this fits perfectly underneath the last time I preached called serving faithfully within your giftedness. Serving faithfully within your giftedness. Now, these the offices or the scriptural officers of a New Testament church are primarily found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, also in Titus, but then they're sprinkled all around in existence throughout the rest of the epistles, okay? So we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. In honor of God and His Word, let's stand as we read 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses... We're just reading the whole chapter, essentially. 
First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 then. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? It's a good question. Notice verse 6. Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Verse 8. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let those, or let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanders, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Paul goes on to finish this little admonition and saying in verse 14, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that, now this is important, verse 15, so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church, of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, that's a very descriptive definition of the church. And then he writes, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God, who was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory, none other than Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we pray for wisdom as we go through these passages. We pray that we would take serious uh, your very clear and direct instruction on who the officers of the church are and how they ought to be. And we pray you'd give us the courage to not allow the world to uh, inform us more than your word does. Give us understanding now by the grace of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. So service by sacrifice is what we see modeled by Jesus. Service by sacrifice. For Jesus said, he did not come into the world to be served, but to serve and to give, I all know this verse, to give his life as a ransom for many, right? That's why he came. So everything that Jesus did was about pouring out, okay, pouring himself out. Paul refers to himself being poured out as a drink offering, again, that that type of that typology that goes back into the Levitical system, okay, and those uh, uh, ceremonial laws, all showing Christ who poured Himself out. But in Mark ten forty five, we have this verse: For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many. So Jesus came not to be served, and so an officer in the New Testament church isn't one who is to be served. And we know that it is the propensity of men in religion, to want to be served. But this isn't about religion. Biblical Christianity is not about an external system of do's and don'ts 
so that you can work your own way to heaven. Biblical Christianity is about dying to self and living to Christ. It is about coming to the end of you and your misery and your mess. And we all bring our own fair share. And saying, Jesus, this is what I have to offer. A string of broken relationships. Injustice done to my family. Godless behavior that is narcissistic to its core. I come as a stained Self-justifying sinner that has reached the end. And Jesus, I'm done. Would you save me? Would you, would you cleanse even me? And would you be my Lord? And in that moment, through that repentant heart, by faith, the Holy Spirit of God comes regenerates you, cleanses you. I got that out of order, but cleanses you. And you are made new. Justified before God. Legally, you owe nothing more. There's a saying for those who have, who have rotated out of the prison system, they are square with the house. You are square with God because of what Jesus did. And so now you are called to serve, just like your Lord. That's your job. That's all of our jobs as Christians, is to serve one another. Now, we get this word served or serve. This is the word where we get deacon from here as it's found in Mark 10. Diakoneo, to serve or to minister, to attend to the wants and needs of others. That's what, again, Jesus did. Diakoneo, to serve, to minister. In other words, you've probably heard the definition to wait tables. Okay, a table waiter. Turn with me to John chapter 13. By way of Jesus' modeling service to us. John chapter 13. 1 through 17. He says now, or John writes, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come, that He should depart from this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. And supper being ended, you remember we just read the passage where we had that. The devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. Rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the, with the towel with, with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter. And Peter said, Lord, are you washing my feet? Now, it's important to understand, everywhere they went, they went in sandals, and there were dusty roads, and this is what they did to wash themselves. It was a dirty job. The feet, the bottom of somebody, where you go through the filth of the day. And here's the king of glory stooping in submission and humility to serve his disciples to which Peter has a problem with this. And he said, are you washing me? And then here's what Jesus answered in verse 7. What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And we all know why Peter said that. How Peter knew who Jesus was. 
Peter couldn't imagine having the King of glory, the very Son of God, the Messiah, stoop to wash his dirty feet. But Jesus makes an even more important uh, response to Jesus's, or I mean, to Peter's resistance. And he said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And that's true. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, you have no part with him. It isn't enough for you to go all, do all of these works to Jesus in his name. If you don't know him, you have no, if you've not been washed, all of you, you have no part in him. And he's the one... Those are the type of people that Jesus warned about saying, Oh Lord, did we not do this and that in your name and do many even signs and wonders? Now notice, even signs and wonders in your name. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I don't know who you are. That's the last word you ever want to hear when you enter into eternity is I don't know who you are. So you may can fool yourself, but you'll never fool God. You may can fool others, but you'll never fool God. So I'm here to tell you, like Peter, you may have a resistance to that humbling of yourself. Because I'll tell you, as one who's been through foot washings before, it takes more humility to have your feet washed than it does to go wash them. It really, really does. Because you have to become completely vulnerable. Tough guys and gals have a hard time with that. But Jesus said, still, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. So Simon Peter said, Lord, this is the best response. Not only my feet, but my hands and my head. In other words, every part. Right. And uh, Jesus said, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. But not all of you. And even in a congregation such as this, a mass here this Sunday, there's a lot of you here who are clean. You've been to Calvary's tree. But there are some of you who are not. You don't have a covering. You're dead in your sin. And the Bible says, not trying to be sensational, the wrath of God abides on you now. But it also says, come to Jesus and live. So he knew, in verse 11, for he knew who would betray him, and therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said, Do you know what I have done to you? But he was always asking them questions like that. Even the Lord asked me, I mean, you know, we, he, he, even today, like even talking to his people, myself, and us. You know, I've done that. Mm-mm. I'm having a hard time picturing this one, Lord. And, and he says, uh, You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, so you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you as an example that you should do as I have done to you. Service to others. Service to the body. Most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. So this harkens back to the whole notion and idea that if religious leaders want to be served and make their life very broad and big, saying, look at me. They've not been again to the tree. Okay. They haven't died. Because Jesus just said right here. 
I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know how to do these things, blessed are you if you do them. So if Jesus washed feet, symbolically so should we. Now that raises the question, there are some churches, some Baptist churches, some Pentecostal, charismatic churches, whatever, that have foot washing on a regular basis. They believe that's part of what you're supposed to do. Now they've taken a good thing and they've made it kind of a law like if you don't do it you're in bad shape like they do this but now we've done it we've done it here at Northridge when we first planted the church did it down in Utah some and it was kind of awkward wasn't it if you remember that and we would all agree what was most awkward was not well first it was wrapping your head around the idea this is really happening okay and then the second thing was uh who's going to go first Okay, because you line up a bunch of basins up on the stage. We just might have to do this. (laughs) We had a good crowd until that moment. (laughs) You couldn't see the people leave fast enough. (laughs) We got a new gate right over there. (laughs) But we line up and then uh, we someone would that first person has to humble themselves enough to come. And then the other person has to humble themselves enough to. So it's an, act, it, it's an exercise in humility if there ever was one. And then you'll find the ones hiding. They're hiding while humbling. They're hiding while serving. They're, they're happy to serve. But don't you dare ask them to be served. Boy, now that's different. And then, you, and then you'll see kind of the guys just like, I, I'm happy to go get water in this pan, you know. They, they know if they keep moving that they won't end up here on the stage and in a chair. And, you know, and then you'll see some of the ladies kind of like, oh, look, dust. <laughs> Everyone's happy to find another job, right? And then finally they get chased down because that's what ends up happening. People begin to notice who's not wet. And then they start chasing you and you're like, and, and you can't get away, and then there you are. And you finally put, and you don't realize the struggle of that kind of humility to have your shoes and socks pulled off your feet, and somebody that you go to church with seeing your feet, which aren't always pretty, okay, washing your feet, and, and you're there, and you just want to die. But then you're blessed because suddenly you're broken. And that's the, why the, that's the whole reason that it happens. So that seems like a good idea. <laughs> Maybe try to do sometime, but I won't say when. <clears throat> we had low attendance Sunday today. How come? Well, they pulled out the water so, and the towels, and we all knew. <laughs> but I think you understand to serve. The apostolic description then of the New Testament church, we hear a lot these days because we have a degradation, a decaying, if you will, of what constitutes a church. Now, we know that Jesus said, if two or three are gathered, I am there in the midst. Fine. That doesn't constitute a church, though. That constitutes a a group of Christians together praying, reading the Bible. But that doesn't constitute a local church. In Titus chapter 1, verse 5, it says, For this reason, Paul's writing, I, uh, he's telling Titus, I left you in Crete for this reason, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and that you appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. So, while today is about deacons and our need for some new deacons at Northridge here to minister to the body's needs, 
The first thing we see mentioned in Scripture as the office of the church is the office of elder. So Paul left Timothy, or I'm sorry, Titus in Crete to do just that. Matthew Poole, the old uh, commentator, writes, Paul left Titus in this place for this end, to regulate the churches and to constitute officers for the holy ministry, to execute the office of an evangelist, doing what the apostle would have done should he have stayed. So we have elders mentioned here. We don't have deacons mentioned here, probably because Paul knew that, uh, that as soon as Titus established the elders, the deacons would come uh, in keeping. And we see that in other scriptures too. Also, to remember something, when you're reading your Bible and you're trying to establish sound doctrine, never take a verse in isolation, but make sure there's an analogy of scripture that connects old and new together. That way you can know that your hermeneutic or your interpretation is in keeping with what the whole Bible says. Okay, So who are these officers? Well, I'm going to first start you off in the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, a document that I really revere a lot. This is chapter 26, and it says... And now remember, I'm going to say something too. The reason I read this, a confession of faith is a distilled uh, statement on a particular uh, uh, area of doctrine. In other words, if I, if I hand the Bible to somebody and I say, here's what we believe about deacons, do they know where that is? How do they interpret these words? Where do they come from? What's their historical background? Are they reading it correctly? Do we mean the same thing? So a, a, uh, a, a confession is not Scripture. It's a distillation of a summary statement about those things. So when it comes to the issue of deacon... It says, a local church gathered and fully organized according to the mind of Christ consists of officers and members. The officers appointed by Christ are overseers or elders and deacons. They are to be chosen and set apart by the church, called and gathered in this way for the distinctive purpose of administering ordinances like you saw and for carrying out any other power or duty Christ entrusts them with or calls them to do. So this pattern is to be continued to the end of the age. So that's a good summary distillation of what the office of elder and deacon does. And this is the scripture that it gives. Because everything in a good confession is backed by scripture. In Acts chapter 20 verse 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So that's who he called for. He called for the whole church to come. He called specifically for the elders in verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among you, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And this is an admonition to again to the elders to make sure that they shepherd the flock of God, which is under their charge. And then lastly, in Philippians 1, Paul and Timothy, uh, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in the church in Philippi, notice what it says, with the bishops and the deacons. So, it's very clear in the battery of Scripture that the officers of the New Testament church are elders and deacons. I'm asked all the time when people find out back south that we have elders, they say, well, do you have deacons? Like, do you read your Bible? Why? Sure. Let me, but I want to ask you a question. You got elders? Well, the same thing. No, it's not. Okay, so it's very different, which we'll see. So qualifications of elders and deacons. First Timothy, back to First Timothy chapter 3 again. First, uh, as we, we've already read through it, uh, both 
elder and deacon are to be the husbands of one wife. This is found in verse 2, and this is found in verse 12. That's why I put it in the green. You like the green? Okay, good. In the church, and I'm just going to get into this because that's what I do. Uh, In the church, Scripture forbids female elders and deacons. Why are you bringing that up for? That's a sticky issue. It's a sticky world right now. The whole thing's made of Velcro right now. Okay? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul writes, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. We have in Scripture this issue of headship. Headship is not about dominance. It's about order. And it's about God's order. I don't have the right to write the commentary on how I think God ought to have done it. Nor am I going to take my, my, uh, my cues on uh, interpreting this passage from a world that can no longer tell the difference between male and female. Nor am I going to let an ideology, I'm just going to say, I have to say this. Feminism had a place at a time. But did you know that very same mindset now has allowed men to become women of the year and they're not saying anything about it? Don't let the world infect you and your thinking as a believer on these issues. Let the Scripture do it. And if you find yourself struggling with that, you need to get in your Bible even more. Turn off your social media. Turn off the news. Say, God, I'm all ears because I've been listening too much over there. So we see 1 Corinthians 11.3. We see that there is an identifiable order of headship. 1 Timothy 2 verse 12. Paul writes, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Now, it's also important to understand this is speaking directly to the church. Small groups are... Now, if the small group is in connection with that official church, that's another thing. But if, if you're gathered, just some Christians are gathering here, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the church, the New Testament church, officially. And when it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, he's simply referring to this Back up in 1 Corinthians eleven three, 3, this office of pastor or elder exercising authority, this office of deacon 2, okay, because there's a certain amount of authority that is coming with that in service, of course, and to in this, in this teaching role like what we're doing here or what we would be doing in a Sunday school class. Okay, that's what this is talking about. When it says, uh, be put to be, uh, but to be in silence, I, I didn't look up what the NIV was. Probably reads pretty good. But this means that, well, you have to remember, in response, a lot of times, things can get out of hand when questions are being fired off, rapid fire in an assembly. And so that's what all this was about. This is about decency. This is about order. And then, of course, elsewhere, we read that the women should ask their husbands at home, well, what if you ain't married? What if you aren't married? Ask one of the, the, the brothers there. In other words, don't make a scene out of the public 
service of the church. Don't, it'd be like if some of you started just going off rapid-firing questions to me right now. It's not a proper thing to do. Okay, so Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now, what we have in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, is an answer to this issue that's connected with verse 2 and verse 12 of both elders and deacons being the husbands of one wife. Okay? The proto diacono, okay, of, of deacons, there is, it's found in Acts 6. It says, as they were trying to meet the needs, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you. He told this to the congregation, which is why you, as members of Northridge, have a ballot in your hand. Take this ballot as a member of Northridge Fellowship, a covenanting member, and pray and ask, say, God, who do you have in mind to set apart for these two positions of deacon that desperately are needed at Northridge? And then once you pray, you write their names down, you fold it in, in half, and you hand it to one of the elders, and then we will hold that in trust until the 16th. That's what you do. That's what we see demonstrated here, is it not? Okay, seven men of good reputation. It doesn't say seven women of good reputation. It says seven men. Now, there's distinctions here. Full of the Holy Spirit, not just any guy that can fog a mirror. Okay, not just somebody that's retired. But they have, to have, they have to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom it says we may appoint over this business. Now, I want to say this in response to some of the issues that you may have, and I like what this said. This is from Robert Yarbrough, a New Testament professor at Covenant Theology, Theological Seminary in Missouri. The godly woman is called to devote herself to learning in the worship setting. She doesn't offer pastoral instruction to teach, and oversight to exercise authority. Yet godly women and wives in the church will, or at least should, have natural avenues for input into the pastoral care of the church. Amen. Yes, of course they should. Ordained men occupy a particular place of responsibility in the congregation, and they benefit from the wisdom of the congregation's women. Oh, yes, we do. Okay, we can be quite linear sometimes, oftentimes, all the time. If there are healthy relationships between the pastors and the women in the congregation, these brothers will be factoring their sisters' concerns and input into their prayer service or into their prayer service and leadership measures. In fact, they will carry them in their hearts. I factor in what my wife says. I listen to my helpmate. I do brother. After 29 years, a lot better job than I did when I was young. Because, okay. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks. You can stand right up here too, okay? But uh, thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Thank, thank the Lord for Jeff, everyone. Okay. Thanks for loving your preacher today. So, Difference in function does not mean difference in value. So stop listening to the world. Well, you don't realize Phoebe in Romans chapter 16 says to the servant Phoebe, and that translates into diaconia. 
I also understand that Phoebe was a servant of the church, yes. But she wasn't the husband of one wife either. Nor was she ever mentioned again. And we don't build doctrine on one scripture. Nor do we have a historical record, really, of that. But we have women serving. Oh, we do. And if we didn't, we'd be sunk. In fact, I would say that the majority of good, solid churches in the United States are carried right now by women. Well, you, what about Deborah, the prophetess, there in Judges 4? Do we all remember what Deborah tried to do to Barak? Go lead, only if you'll go with me. She just wanted him to lead. She'd given him the word of God. And he wanted her. Get the point. God has given us our women as helpers. We need to listen to them. But God did not give us our women to subjugate them and to put them in a corner and say, you don't have a voice. That's dumb. Okay? And also I want to say this. The world could use desperately now young, vibrant, filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom, female theologians. Because most of the ones we have are goofy. Okay? So I just want to say that. Learned that word in seminary. Okay, number two. Uh, Both elders and deacons are to be of good character and good conduct. We read this in verses 2 and 3 and verses 9 and 10. Uh, First, at the home, verse 4 and 12. And then second, in the world, they're supposed to have a good reputation. They're supposed to be godly men that love their families. And when it says that they order their own family well, it means that their, their children that are living at home are in line with what the Scripture says. Does it mean they have a perfect home? No, they're not in heaven yet. Okay, they don't walk on water. Okay, they're not Jesus. But predictably, they order their own home well. It also means that when it says likewise their wives, means that it's it's really, uh, uh, um, it's a lack of forethought to think that the wives will not have an effect on the deacon ministry, also the elder ministry. But ultimately, at the end of the day, that elder or that deacon has to make a decision. And that godly woman behind them will help them make a decision. That is in keeping with the scripture. So you cannot have an elder or deacon whose husband, and, whose husband and wife, whichever, whatever the office is. If the husband and wife don't agree doctrinally, then you could have problems. Serious problems, right? If they don't agree on how to raise the family, they ain't ready yet, right? Uh, so there has to be a harmony in the home and the children, you know, being children. I, man, sometimes I wish I had like another hour. But uh, you're like, no, I get it. But PKs and MKs, missionary kids, preacher's kids, get a bad rap. Well, that, you know, uh, preacher's daughter, preacher's son, they, they think they can get away. It's like suddenly they're under this microscope of perfection. And when your own kids are over there beating a squirrel in the head with a ball-peeing hammer just for fun. 
pray for me. Uh, so in the, in the world, in the world, when you go to work, you should have a good reputation. This men should know when, when you send them out, they represent the church. So myself, the elders and these deacons, principally represent this body of believers. And there's a weight there. So do their wives. And yes, so do their children, but under the headship of that man, and then underneath that, that submitted uh, meekness of that wife, they represent this church. So you don't just throw anybody in these offices. Faithfulness to this church, faithfulness to God's body as in this local body here, because you can't be everywhere at one time. Both are not to be novices. Now, I love, this was fun for the word study guy. Neophyte in the Greek. Neos, meaning new. And futon, not the couch, but means a plant. Not a new plant. Not a new plant. I have new little pepper plants right now, but they're not ready to go outside. I got some that are even taller, but they're not ready to go outside yet. They haven't been hardened off, and I won't get into that any further. But hence, a new convert, a neophyte, Chrysostom. Chrysostom, J.T., is that how you say that? Christus, Christus, that's right, right. It, it runs together. Explains it as a newly catechized, but a neophyte differed from a catechumen in having received baptism. So you had those who were going through cate, catechism, and then you've had those who have done that and have been baptized. They're the neophyte. Better the ancient Greek interpreter saying newly baptized, neo-baptiatos. After the ceremony of baptism, the neophytes wore white garments for eight days from Easter Eve until the Sunday after Easter, which was called Dominica in Olibus, the Sunday in white. So this is what they did sometime in church history past. But you don't put those young guys in positions of authority like that lest they say, I just went through catechism and got baptized and now I... I'm a deacon. I am an elder. I move fast up the chain. I'm somebody. And then by Paul writes, lest they fall into the same condemnation and snares the devil, who what was his principal sin? Pride. That's right. Okay. It is not always age or years that qualify or disqualify a man for service as an officer in the church. So we use the word elder in our society to mean those who are old. Those who are aged, those who have gray hair, even if you have it prematurely, okay? But I want you to know, just because you're old doesn't mean you are wise. And just because you are young doesn't mean you are not wise, okay? How long you've been a Christian and your eligibility for the office of deacon or elder is going to be exhibited by how you live and operate in your church right now. You say, how do you identify a deacon? They're the ones who deek. They're deacon right now. They may not have the title, but everywhere they go, they just deek about. They just have that way about them. It's not hard to see. What is of utmost importance is spiritual maturity in the Word of God and in relational faithfulness to their fellow believers. Are they faithful 
to the ministries at Northridge? Are they present without a title? Are they in Sunday school? Are they at the men's fellowships? Does it mean 100% perfect attendance? No, nor does it demand that. It just means they're supportive of these ministries. They are present. This also includes the elders as well. Should the time come, we get new elders and stuff. But they are present. They are, they are wise in the scripture. If you ask them a question or you're talking to them in just casual conversation, they leak scripture. Okay? They're, they leak it out. It just comes out. Are they perfect men? No. Are they humble men? Better be. Does it mean they're always humble? Depends on what you're asking them about. Okay? Some of them like their trucks and some like particular brands. And, but generally speaking, they're humble people. Okay? They better be humble people because it takes humility to serve. Are their wives with them on it? Is there a harmony in their home? Do they show affection to their wives and their children? All of these things are important. 1 Timothy chapter 3 is where you should take your ballot, lay it down there on the margin of your Bible and read along and say, Lord, who do I know like this in the church? Who is it that you have in mind for me to write down here? That's your job as a member of Northridge Fellowship. The perfect thing we can do now at this time then is to pray for wisdom. And we have a lot of praying to do today, okay? So what I would like to do is I'd like to have... We're going to spend just a few minutes in corporate prayer now. Praying not only for wisdom to know what we should do about deacons, but also in what we should be doing as a church. It is evident that God is is blessing Northridge, and growing Northridge. But we need wisdom to know how to walk on. This isn't about us and our ideas. This is about discerning God's will. There are tons of things to pray about too. But as we go together corporately today, should you have a, voice, a prayer to voice, remember, these aren't long prayers. This is corporate prayer. So be succinct and to the point. Speak loudly as soon as that person is done. The next one pray. And then today, after we have corporate prayer, we are going to close the service with the chair of prayer for Brother Lynn and his new knee that he gets tomorrow. Lynn has need of a new knee. Okay? Okay. All right. Let's go to the Lord then and open up in this time of corporate prayer. Brother Cody Eady, would you start us off, please?